Wakanda, which is a country where a fictional superhero comes from. So it was fun to just send them there, spend 10 minutes with them going through the bracket and kind of picking through his different teams. Uh, but it's, it's been a, a fun week. Um, I'm glad everybody's here this morning. I don't know if we're still missing people because of time change. I'd hope after a week <laughs> you would figure out you're off an hour. Um, I'm going to try to wrap us up in 13 minutes because Purdue kicks off in, at 11.40. Um, if I don't, I'm just going to get my phone out and I'll put the March Madness game up right here. So if, I, you know, if you see some excitement from me, it might be because of what's happening in there. Now, we're in the most beautiful place in the world right now doing the most important thing we can do, which is bringing glory to our God and going into His Word. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're in the midst of our series on Exodus, and, and we're coming to a place today where we're going to kind of pause for a moment. Uh, this sermon kind of wraps up one of these main key points that God's trying to teach His people in the early part of Exodus. And then for the next couple of weeks, what we'll do is we'll be focusing on Easter, the most awesome time of year, and then we'll jump back in as we really see a new stage in the journey. See, this whole first part of the stage has been about them escaping Egypt and slavery, and now as we move into the second phase, what we'll see is them starting to develop their own identity as God's people. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand because that's kind of the journey we go through, right? You're, you're first as a, a non-believer stuck in kind of your slavery to sin. There's a way that you've learned to live in life. You're, you're subject to the whims of the world. You're pushed side to side by, by the ways of Satan and by culture. You've learned to live and survive in a certain kind of lifestyle and way. And then what happens is you encounter Christ and you realize there's another option. There's a different way to go. There's an opportunity for you to escape all these things that you've just settled for. And there absolutely is now a new life that you can go after. And so there's this moment where you have to choose, right? Are you going to break free from this old life that you've been in? And are you going to move forward into that new life? And, and in fact, that kind of leads us to our first verse that we've been referring to each week in the keys to the series. It's the verse in Luke 16, 13, which says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And so for all of us, there's that initial part of the journey where we have to decide. I'm set here. I've been functioning a certain way, living a certain way. I've basically been my own master. I've basically been pursuing the things that the world tells me to go after. No more. I'm cutting loose from this, and I'm going to allow God to be my master. I'm going to allow Him to lead me. Now that's the first part of the journey, and in and of itself, that's very difficult. Because often we've become comfortable in this space here. And again, we've talked about this. It doesn't mean you like the life you're in now. It's just you become comfortable. You know how it functions. You know how it works. You know how to survive. You get by day to day. It's the same mentality that keeps people in terrible jobs and in bad relationships. It's not that they're ignorant to the fact that they're bad jobs and bad relationships. It's just they're at least functioning there and they're less worried about how to live in this than what else could be out there. Now what we're going to start to see in the people of Israel is they've made this decision, they're following God. And so now they've broken free from the old. It's still going to pull back at them from time to time, but now it's about becoming different. Now it's about really these second two verses. It's about Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And so now we're going to start seeing these people realize we have to think differently. We have to function differently. And through that process, what will happen is we will see the truth of 1 Peter 1, 14-16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so we're going to pick up with these folks, and we're going to see a little bit of today, and we'll start really focusing on it in three weeks after Easter's done, is how these people start to get a new identity. And to be honest, this is where a lot of Christians struggle. They try to let go of the past, but they don't fill it with anything new. And so when they don't do that, then they find themselves kind of lost, not knowing who they are and how they're supposed to look in this new world. 
And so I want to be very careful that as we go through this, that we understand where we are individually on our own journeys with God and know what He's trying to accomplish in our lives. Uh, my boys recently, about six months ago, we got them bunk beds because little sister was coming. And so we determined that we were going to let them share a room and the best way to use the small room was to have them sleep you know, in a bunk bed. This is actually the bunk bed we got. This is not their room though. This room is way too clean <laughs> and way too orderly. Uh, their room is like this except just toys everywhere. A bunch of Legos. Um, but Tyler gets the top and Jake has the bottom of course. Now the funny thing is, is I've been very big in our house and this came from how I grew up. You don't have your own toys. You do not have your toys. There are no Ty's toys and Jake's toys. In fact, what I tell them at the house is, all the toys belong to Daddy. They're all Daddy's toys. So you take care of them, you share them, and don't ever think they're yours. But what we have let Tyler do is, on the top bunk, he has this little compartment here. Now again, this isn't a picture of his compartment because his doesn't have an iPhone or an iPad. <laughs> but he has this little compartment and it's been fun to see how he uses it because 99% of the stuff they have, he understands it's not his. But what this little compartment has come, become for him is it's become his stash of all the things Jake can't touch. Now, if you don't know Jake, I understand this. Tyler's more of a thinker and likes to put things together and he likes order. Jake's a little bit more like, let's wreck some stuff. Let's wreck it. In fact, it's been really bad because most of the toys Jake has played with as a child have been toys that come apart. So if you give him a toy that doesn't come apart intentionally, he will rip it and realize it can't come back together. And he's confused by this. So what this little compartment has become is Ty's stash of all the things Jake can't get. Well, the other day, we heard this terrible yell from upstairs. And Tyler is just like, no! And I'm like, what's going on? I run up the steps. Jake had climbed the ladder. And Jake was in the secret stash. And he was just... Biggest smile on his, all these, and you know what's funny? The toys aren't even that cool. But they're just the ones he's not allowed to play with. And what's he doing? He's tearing them apart. And so, of course, we, we call him the mess, but it, it made me think about how many of us spiritually have one of those compartments. Spiritually, how many of us have understood that, yes, my God is my God, and yes, he has a lot of say in a lot of areas of my life, but how many of us have our own little compartment where we've, we've peeled off a few things and we've said, I'm just going to keep these over here. God, these aren't for you. God, you can give me your wisdom and your advice and your guidance and your rules on, on all this stuff, but, but these few things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take and keep over here for me. And what's funny is we often... We'll, we'll convince ourselves, like Tyler had convinced himself, these aren't really that important. They're not a big deal. It's little stuff. Don't worry about it. Y you know, the moment you keep it for yourself, you know it's not little anymore. Uh, like I can't tell you how many times as a youth pastor I would talk to kids about their rap music and they would tell me, it's just a song. It's not a big deal. It's not like I listen to the song and then I go do the stuff. I said, cool, so if it's not a big deal, stop listening to it. Well, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I listen to it all the time. It'd be hard for me to stop listening to it. Okay, so then is it really a small deal? See, what's funny, if something's small, we could care less about giving it. None of us think twice about taking the extra pennies we get and putting them in the give a penny, need a penny bucket next to the cash register, but you sure as heck would think about putting a $100 bill in there, wouldn't you? Why? Because a penny, who cares? They're in my couch, they're in my car, they're in my pockets. They're everywhere. They're worthless. Who needs them? If something truly is not of value to us, we will give it up easily. But when we hold on to something, when we say, I won't let go of this, it means it has a hook in you. And so what I want us to see as we go through Exodus chapter 17 today is that God is teaching His people he is the God of everything in their lives. 
And their dependence and reliance on Him needs to be complete and utter. It can't be that God just helps us here or here or here. God is the Master. He's the Lord of all. In the wedding vows that I ask people to recite, there's a line where you say, I give to you all I am and all I have. And that's very much the commitment we should be making to God. God, I am yours. I give you everything that I am and everything I have. I think the reality is most of us go, God, I give to you some of what I have and most of what I am. But there's these little parts that we hold on for ourselves. And God's trying to teach His people early on as He's forming their identity, it's not how it works with me. So flip with me to Exodus chapter 17 and let's read through what happens here. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, we start to see the people of Israel need God in a slightly different way. And it's interesting because the lesson's the same. If we recap what's happened to them since they've been through the Exodus and are freed of Pharaoh's people, they have needed him for shade, they have needed him for light, they have needed him for heat, they have needed him for water, they have needed him for bread, they have needed him for meat, they needed him for water again. So clearly God is teaching them, when you need stuff, who provides? God. In fact, over and over and over and over again, this lesson is coming. And today, the exact same lesson's taught, but in a different phase of their lives. All those other things have been physical, physical needs. But in chapter 17, verse 8, we now see an external force coming to them. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel of Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So you see what God's teaching in this moment? What does he want to make unbelievably clear to Israel about the victory they have over Amalek? He wants to make it unbelievably clear to them it has nothing to do with you. This isn't about your military might. This isn't about your mastery of weapons. This isn't about your strategy. This isn't about your your pride. This isn't about your boldness. This is about one thing and one thing only. It's about whether God is on your side. That's it. That's the thing he wants them to understand. And, and, And let's be real here. This is a harsh reality. Right? They're not playing checkers. They're at war. When that arm falls and they start to lose, what is that telling us? It means men died. It means people's lives were lost. And when it raised back up, that meant Israel took the strength again. God's entire point to them in this early on is you need me for everything. And I know we've talked about this for a couple weeks, but I need this to set in in all of us. I need it to set in in me. God is teaching an utter dependence upon Him that goes against everything our culture teaches. America is all about independence. America is all about independence. In fact, you look at our culture even just now from what we were 30, 40, 50 years ago, it's unbelievably different. 
Nowadays, it's unbelievably regular for us to live nowhere near our families. At 18, we ship our kids halfway across the country. They go off. They live different lives. They're away from us, and they may never come back. And in America, we think that's absolutely normal. Back in these times, that was unheard of. Your family was everything. Not only were they the, your, your love and, and, and your social network, but they were your protection, they were your security, they were your sense of identity. To have left them would have made no sense. Everything was about the group, together, functioning, doing. As Americans, we don't do this anymore. We are unbelievably independent. In fact, so much so, it's, it's crazy because technology has just advanced this. In your own home, you can all be sitting in the same room watching six different TV shows. Like, do you ever just pay attention and do people watching when you go out to lunch? Have you noticed how many tables you can look at and everybody is in their own digital world? They're at dinner together, all sitting at the same four-by-four four table, yet all of them in completely different worlds. There used to be this place called the family room because the family would come together there. Nowadays, everybody just kind of goes off to their own place. And man, your room is your own kingdom now. I mean, if you're a kid and you're in your room, you have a PlayStation and an iPad, you can do anything in the world. You can read anything, watch anything, listen to anything, do anything. In fact, we're even seeing in America people don't know why they come to church anymore. I mean, if you want to hear a good pastor, just go to your phone. I can list out a hundred better pastors than me that you can listen to at any time you want, any moment. We don't get this understanding of connection anymore. And so what God is teaching the people here is something that's very un-American. He's teaching them, I need you to be utterly dependent on me. Don't come to me only as your backup plan. Don't come to me as your insurance. Don't come to me as your escape clause. Don't come to me when everything else has failed and I'm your last resort. You come to me from the very, very beginning. Amen. In fact, in John, when he's talking about he's the vine and we're the branches, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. God is trying to create an unbelievably dependent relationship with His people. Where you need God day in, day out, second by second, to do. And so some of us have to look at that because that's not the relationship we have with God. And so I want to break that down a few ways for us. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who I like most of what C.S. Lewis says. You've got to be careful with all of his stuff. Some of his stuff's a little off-center. But he has this awesome quote I love. He says, the thing is to rely on God. The time will come when you regard all this misery as a small price to pay have been for being brought to that dependence. Meanwhile, the trouble is that relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing has yet been done. So you see, the problem with this, this lesson of dependence for us is it's not one of those things that you ever put a checkbox next to. Is anybody in here like a, a task list kind of person? Does anybody have a to-do list? I'm a to-do list guy. I have an app on my phone. It has all my projects with subtasks in them, with due dates on them. And I'm not just talking about like church projects. I'm talking like personal projects. I go in. I check my due dates. How am I doing? Am I on task? Am I not? I check off the things I've done. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel completed. It makes me feel organized. I hate when that list is not up to date. Relying on God is a thing on the list that will never have a check mark on it. Because every single day, it has to be learned again. And in fact, where you and I are so bad, is often when we get good at it, you know what starts to happen? We start winning, and we stop relying on Him. We start to get cocky and go, hey, I got this. God, take this day off. You know what, go help these fools. These people need you. I got it. And he's like, do you not realize the only reason you've been winning is me? 
The moment I step away, you'll go back to losing. So don't tell me to leave. We've got to create a reliance on God where He truly is what we need every single day of our lives. And for some of us, even church folks, our vision's still off. We talked about this last week. The people of Israel could only see what God provided. Moses saw God. And to be honest, as I, I hear some of you guys talking on Wednesdays and Sundays and, and even with the youth as we've been recapping each week what we talk about, some of you have missed God in this entire sermon series. Because if I ask you, what have we been learning about? You'll go, Moses, uh, he was at a battle with Pharaoh about you know, who was God and there was the plagues and, and, and you know, there was Passover, that was a big deal, Passover happened. And then, uh, there, oh, the parting of the, the Red Sea, that happened. Yeah, that's what we've been talking about. All you've done is listed stories. What this is really about is a God that loves his people so much that he will not let them go. It's about a God that even when for 400 years the people ignored him, he heard their cries and he came in miraculous power and devotion and freed them from an almighty power. It's about a God that when he stands against the impossible says, get out of my way, these are my people and you can't take them from me. It's about a God who does unbelievable things with unbelievable love to give a lost people a new identity. It's about a God that frees people from the slavery of the world and even though they don't deserve it, not for a minute, not for a second, not for anything they've done, even though they're just as bad as the enemies who punish them, he takes them, he says, you're mine, and he brings them to the promised land. It's about a God of unbelievable power and love. Some of you go, that's not what we've been talking about. And just like the Israelites, what's happened is you've missed everything that's happened. It's why some of those Israelites were sitting there in the desert going, we don't have food, we don't have water, let's go back. And meanwhile, Moses is sitting there with a stomach hungering and a tongue that's thirsting, singing praises to God. Because while everybody else had just seen events happening, he had seen God orchestrating all of it. And so as C.S. Lewis says, do you really rely on him? I know you being here means at some point, at some time in your life, you did rely on him. But do you rely on him now? Have you given everything to him completely and utterly? Let's break down a few things. First, God is Lord of all. He is God of everything. There is nothing in this world or in your life that doesn't belong to him. If there is any area of your life that you are holding him back from, you're messing up. You have not truly accepted him as your God. All he is then is your advisor, your consultant. Now, if you've ever worked with advisors and consultants, how much power do they have? Only as much as you give them. Because they can sit there with the best game plan in the world, they can sit there with the best advice in the world, and if you choose to ignore it all, it doesn't matter. Gosh, parents, you ever felt that pain? Right? Warning your children, don't do this. This is what will happen. Don't go that way. It's a mistake. Stop, 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 stop. What do they do? They just go. And everything you said would happen, happens. Why? Because you were an advisor, a consultant. You were not the authority. They chose their own path. All of us have to ask ourselves, have I made God Lord of everything in my life? Look at 1 Chronicles 29. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. What's the acknowledgement? Everything is His. 
Everything is his. My children aren't mine. They're his. I've just been given the honor to watch over them here on this earth. But I try to constantly remind myself, those aren't my boys. They're his. I have to raise them to his standard. I have to teach them to love him. I have to teach them I'm not their father. He is. I'll be honest, it's hard. It's difficult. But nothing I have is mine. And let's be honest, a lot of us, when it comes to giving to God, this is where we struggle. Whether we're talking about time, whether we're talking about money, whether we're talking about effort, or we're talking about our talents, we think we're actually giving our stuff to God. And we go, well, that's painful. This is mine. I worked hard for this. You didn't do anything for it. It's not yours. It's His. It's His. And if you bristled in your soul at that comment, you got something to work on. In fact, it's why so often the hardest people to reach are those who have been so successful. They sit and look at you and go, do you not see what I have done? What do you mean I can do nothing? I have made a name for myself. I have built a company on my own. I have built a family on my own. I have provided. I have protected. I have given jobs. I have made this world a better place. And from a worldly perspective, they're right. But you know what it will account to in the end of time? Absolutely nothing. Man, I've had some time off from work because USA gives me a lot of time off with uh, uh, having a new baby. Do you know what I've learned? I am absolutely replaceable. Scarily replaceable. Like, they're just rolling. There's been no huge fires. There's been no, Luke, please come back. We need you. In fact, regularly, I'm like, hey, guys, can you just, like, make a couple mistakes so you guys can be like, man, if Luke had been here, that wouldn't have happened. They don't need me. They do not need me. And if I decided tomorrow I would not come back, they'd go, cool, and keep on moving. It's the way the world works. Do you realize everything belongs to God? Everything. Look at Colossians 1.16. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is all his stuff. He's just lent it out. It's all his. Everything you have and everything you are is his. Do you act like that? I think I've told you this before. The car I took care of the most was the first car I ever had. Because it wasn't mine. It was my dad's car that I got to drive. That bad boy was washed every other week. It was constantly vacuumed. It was constantly clean. And my goodness, if you walked out to the car I have sitting right out there, it would not look like that at all. <laughs> and my car is the clean one in the family. Why? Because it's mine. The moment it's mine, I'm like, I can do whatever I want with it. But I knew when I had my dad's car, he was going to be checking in on it. And I knew if I came and it looked wrong, he'd go, we'll have a talk. And if it looked wrong too often, I wouldn't have a car. I remember once I had parked way, way out at the end of the soccer fields in high school. And at the end of school, I walked out and I couldn't find my car. And I was freaking out. I'm like, oh my goodness, where is my car? And so I start hitting the, the lock button to hear the horn. And of course, my car like that really wimpy Japanese horn that's you know? And, and, and so I'm like, I'm hearing it. And I find the car. And I'm like, who moved the car? And it was a post-it note that said, please park on the curb next time, not three feet away from it. Dad. <laughs> he had drove by school, saw how I had parked, Found it unacceptable and reparked the vehicle. <laughs> Not my car, his. Not my life, his. Not my kids, his. Not my money, his. Do we see that? 
Second, everything we do, not just the stuff, everything we do is for God. If you're truly a disciple, your entire life is a testimony to who God is. Now that's scary because let's be real. Have you ever had those days where you realize like around 2 o'clock you haven't prayed? You haven't thought a lot about God? You ever had one of those days where you're like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I'm like really talking to him. That's bad. That should have been like the first thing that happened. I'll be honest. I have to be careful on Sundays. Because typically, I go to bed pretty late. I wake up, and especially right now with the baby, I got to get the two boys ready, get in the car. I normally have meetings from the moment I get here to the moment I leave. And so the whole way I'm thinking about who I got to meet with, what's the checklist, what items got to get done today, what's my Sunday school lesson on, what's my sermon on, who do I need to catch up with, who are we missing, I need to get with them. I have this whole checklist of things that have to get done. And you know what, sometimes I forget in that checklist? You're about to speak on behalf of God. Have you talked to Father today? Have you made sure it's going to be His words, His truth coming through your voice? Have you spent time when you're about to tell people to worship God to actually spend time with Him before you do that? And sometimes Sundays are the hardest day for me on that. Because the checklist is so long. Everything we do is for God. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. What's Paul saying? Everything can be an act of worship. How you eat your food, how you speak, what you listen to, how you entertain yourself, how you spend time with your kids. All those things can be acts of worship. Where you and I mess up is we're like, I worship on Sundays from 11 o'clock until pastor ends sometime around 12.30. That's when I worship. Worship should be constant. Continual. Every day you should be looking for ways in the regular and the mundane to elevate them to the eternal and awesome. Every day you should be looking for those moments where you can do something that glorifies God. And you know what's crazy? You don't have to change your life. It's so funny how so many people who, when they first come to Christ, they feel like, oh my gosh, I I just don't have time. How am I going to do all this? You don't really have to change what you're doing as much as how you're doing it. You can glorify God at work. By being a hard worker, an honest worker, a loving worker, a worker who cares about his companions. Why? Because of God. You can love God and honor God in your marriage by going, even though you messed up today and I should be angry with you, I know God has asked me to cherish you above all else. And so I will. For Him. Because our marriage isn't our marriage. It's His marriage. And it's a testimony to Him. I'm going to raise my kids in a certain way. Why? For Him. I'm going to discipline. Why? Because He asks me to. All these things that would have filled my life before now look different because He is in all of them. And if I find something where I can't make Him fit there is no room for him, then that thing probably shouldn't be in my life. It should be removed and eliminated. Everything we do should be done to his glory. Everything. So he made it all, he's Lord of it all, and every action we take can be for him. Wouldn't it be scary to see a checklist of all the activities you've done every day and see how many of them line up on for God versus for you? May the testimony of our life be as we mature as that, that list of the things we've done for Him would get longer and longer. Look at Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Easy believism does not happen with Christ. 
it's why like the whole health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, I, I've never understood it. Like, this is what Jesus tells to his people. You want to follow me? End your life and follow me. You want to follow me? Give everything up and come with me. Jesus is the worst salesman ever. He never brings you in with a little hook and then just slowly asks for more. He's like, just straight up from the beginning, if I'm not number one, if you won't give me everything, then this is a waste of your time. It's why it's so interesting to me how much the modern church has bent over backwards to be entertaining, to be fun, to have cool activities, to make itself look pretty, because that was never Jesus. In fact, if Jesus sniffed that you were there for the wrong reason, he'd tell you to get lost. Feeds 5,000 people. The next day they show up searching for him. And he's like, you guys should leave. Because you're not here for me. You're here for food and to be entertained. And if you're here for food and entertainment, you're here for the wrong reasons. Adios. And you're sitting there going, who does that? Can you imagine a modern church doing that? Everybody leave. You're only here to be entertained by our music today. We don't want you. No, we'd be like, yes, they're here to be entertained by our music. They liked it. Great. What can we do next week? It's completely opposite of how Christ thought. And the reason for this is it ultimately comes back to one thing. God wants you to love Him completely. He wants you to love you completely. That's why we say our mission is to love God and love people. Look at Mark 12.30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. What's he saying? Love Him completely. In any way you can love Him, love Him. I want you to love Him in your mind. I want you to have so much knowledge about Him that logically you sit there and go, He's awesome. He's awesome. I love who He is. All the things I know about Him are amazing. It's why some of you, you got the heart love. You're like, I love Jesus. He's amazing. He's done so many great things for me. But you're like, I, I don't need to study. I don't need to read. I know Him. I've experienced Him. No! You don't love Him completely yet. He's asked you to love Him with your mind. To dig into His Word. To dig into His knowledge. To know more about Him. And then He says, love me with all your heart. So not only do you know stuff about Him, but man, the way you feel about Him. The way you feel about Him. Can't put it into words. It's too big. So not only is it this logical mentally strong love. It's this emotional, warm fire and passion. And then love me with your soul. What's that? The completeness. It's the completeness. It's everything. Love me with your strength. What's that mean? In my body. In the way I act. In the way I move. I show him love. His point to you is, man, you've got to love me in such a way no one can ever doubt it. The love for me consumes everything. And if you're sitting there going, that just seems like too much. It just seems like a big ask. Then that means to me you haven't seen him. Because if you've seen him, you'd realize he's worth all that. He's worth all that. And to be honest, what's crazy is I actually see people do this for much less. Even if you're not a sports fan, go, go turn on March Madness and look at some of these fans. They know all the history of their sports programs. They're wearing clothes to let you know where they're at. They're jumping up and down, yelling and screaming to support their teams. They cry when they lose. Have you seen like these grown adults crying because a piece of leather didn't go in a metal circle? Like, really? That's bringing you to tears? The ball didn't go in the circle. Let's cry. Life is over. He's one of the wake up, people. It's a bunch of dudes in shorts playing with a ball. 
I think we'll move on. But what I'll say about those people is they love like this. They love the wrong thing, but they love like this. I've told you often, I wish, I wish I could make this place feel like a Dallas football game before a game kicks off. Steelers for you, Diane. You go, you go to a team that love people that love their football team, and you go, they're there early. You can't even get into the building. And they're lined up like, we're going to hang out in the parking lot. We're three hours before they'll even let us in. We're going to start our own party out here. We're going to bring money and food and family, and we got clothes to wear for the event, and we're going to be here as long as we possibly can because this place is awesome. They'll scream till their voices disappear. They'll spend all kinds of money and not even care about it. They'll cry, they'll laugh, they'll cheer. They'll make friends with complete strangers. Why? Because they're wearing the jersey of the same favorite football player as them. Don't even know them. Yet talk about church, and it's like, oh, it's so long. And they always want your money. There's all those strangers. And the pastor, oh my gosh, he goes long. You know what's funny? When you're at a sporting event and it goes into overtime, everybody's like, Yes! I see you guys right around 12.15 like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, he's only gone through seven slides. I know he's got at least ten more. Does anybody have a granola bar? I need a granola bar. No one gets excited about my overtimes. <laughs> if your football team went into overtime every week, you'd be like, best year ever. <laughs> Back row Baptist. <laughs> we know how to love like this. Some of us just don't know how to love God like this. And it's because we're not looking. We're not seeing. We've ignored the important thing. I'll give you one last thing. Ignore that verse. It's the wrong verse. Go with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay every person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. How many of you are willing to give up your life to follow Him? How many of you are willing to take up your cross and follow Him? When Jesus talked about taking up His cross, you have to remember it was before the cross meant what it means today. It was before He had died on it and spilled His blood to wash away our sins. It was before He had risen three days later to prove that that cross could not stop Him. Back then, the cross was a sign of unbelievable pain, torture, and death. It would be like saying, hey, if you want to follow me, pick up your electrocution chair. Who would do that? Why? You want me to give up everything to grab that? And Jesus said, yes, for me, yes. can't harp on this enough that some of us are on the wrong path. You're following God for what you think He has for you and not for Him.
be with the shepherd. Don't care where he leads you. If you're in the green pastures, praise him. And if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, praise him still. Because as long as you're by him, that's all that matters. That's it. Let him be the God of everything in your life. Do not have a compartment where you have peeled off things from your life and hidden them from Him. I don't care if it's your finances. I don't care if it's your sex life. I don't care if it's your romantic relationships. I don't care if it's your entertainment, movies, music, whatever. If there is any part of your life that you have pulled back from Him and said, this is mine, let go. Let go. He wants it all. Because He gives it all. Everything He takes, He will replace. And He will replace it with that which is pure, which is holy, and which is righteous. Is He really your master? Or is He just your advisor? God, I pray, He's your master. Brother Joe, if you'd come up with me. We're going to take a few minutes to go to the Lord in prayer. And then Maria is going to close us out in worship. I encourage you today, if you haven't laid it all at His feet, do so. Give Him everything. Give Him absolutely everything. My right. 
announcements real quick before you guys head out. Uh, one, we have our Bible study Wednesdays and Sundays. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. both in English and in Spanish. If you haven't come yet, it's an opportunity where we actually talk about the sermon. You get to ask questions, things you didn't understand, how do we apply it to life, looking at some other passages, because believe it or not, there's actually passages I didn't get to today <laughs> that go in to our Wednesday Bible studies. And so uh, I would really encourage you guys to come to those. Um, also on this Saturday at 10 a.m., we don't have it in the bulletin, but 10 a.m. Saturday, we're going to try to do just a little impromptu work day. Uh, with Easter coming, we know we'll have extra fe- folks here. We know we've got the big Easter picnic coming. Uh, if you won't mind showing up at 10 a.m. if you can, we're just going to straighten some things up, get a few things in order. Uh, that way we put our, our best foot forward for visitors as they come and see uh, what we do here at Harmony. So again, Saturday at 10 a.m. if you guys can be here. I believe that's it. I love you guys. Remember, you have a spirit of what? Power, love, and self-discipline. And you have a mission to do what? Go make disciples that love God, love people, follow Jesus. So get to it. I love you guys. Eyes to my soul protector and break the will of this. Bl-